everyone, and welcome to the Am Sisters podcast. You're here today with your hosts, Anna and Maria Setting, bringing your favorite twin talk of the week. And as we promised, this week we're bringing something really nice. It's all about Valentine's Day. That's right. I think it's going to be an interesting episode, especially because we're talking about the history of Valentine's Day, which is something that most people don't really think about and we're going to talk about like who is valentine who um was valentine so we can now celebrate this day that is considered a day of love and couples but why you know it's something interesting i believe although the history is not really clear i think we have many versions of that yeah. but hopefully we can share a little bit of what we learned so we could share this in this episode. So do you want to start by uh, sharing a little bit of the history of Valentine's Day? Yeah, sure. So as my sister was saying, historians are not really sure where Valentine's Day came from. It's pretty contested history, but the most agreed upon was that Valentine's Day was actually created because of two men named Valentine. And this arise during the Roman Empire, and in that period of time, Catholicism and Christianism was forbidden by law. So if you were preaching that or practicing that, probably you were going to be killed. And that's what happened. So they became martyrs of the church. So one of the Valentines, actually, the story comes from the Roman Empire during the government of the Emperor Claudius II, and during that time, he was trying to increase his army, the strength of his army, and he forbade all young men to marry. And Valentine is believed to have floated the ban, and he was performing marriages in secret. So when the emperor found out, of course, I mean, he was executed. And that happened during February, February 14th. But for me, it was a bit strange, because if you think about it, like, the emperor wanted more men in the army, so probably he would encourage marriages, right? So people would have more kids, more population, a bigger army. Makes sense. But my sister found a different version of it. Yeah, I believe the, the real reason why they didn't want men to get married at the time is just because it would be a vulnerability during war. Because they would feel homesick and sad and, you know not really well outside their hometown and far away from their children and their wives. So that, that was the main reason I believe they try to discourage marriage. Although in terms of population, it makes no sense. Like yeah. on the long run, it made no sense, especially if the, the men died during war. I mean, <laughs> somebody's mm -hmm. gonna populate, somebody's, somebody has to populate the, the empire, right? So. That's a bit, that's why I think it's a bit weird, this decree, yeah. but um, the other Valentine, he was kind of a priest at that time, not exactly a priest, but he was preaching Catholicism and Christianity, and it was believed that he went into a family that kind of offered shelter for him, and there was a blind girl in the family, and he performed a miracle that cured the girl, and after that, the entire family uh, they were converted into believers because they are like some a miracle happened here and when the emperor got to know that that he was converting people into his own belief he was also sentenced to death 
so as you can see, Valentine's Day, there's nothing really related to romantic stuff. And also, this day was actually created by the church because in, during the Roman Empire, there was this very popular holiday, a pagan holiday called the Percalia. And it was related to health and fertility. But it wasn't something really good for the church. So they kind of covered it up using the same period of time, close to the February 14th, to celebrate the martyrs of the church instead. So I think it is really interesting with Percalia, and my sister can explain a bit better what it was. Yeah, actually, Lupercalia apparently was celebrated on February 15th, but then the church, they tried to change the date for February 14th. I think it would coincide with the marchers and also substitute yeah. a pagan holiday, which was prohibited, any kind of pagan celebration, right? So they tried to Christianize this Lupercalia by turning it into Valentine's Day. Um so Lupercalia is a different holiday, I'd say, for our conception nowadays. Um, so apparently, um, Lupercalia was a fertility festival. Like my sister said, one of the one of the aspects of the festival was fertility, and was also welcoming spring because it's the middle of February. So um, the festival was dedicated to Faunus and also which was a god of agriculture, and as well to the Roman founders, Romulus and Remus. If you know the legends, the two little boys who were adopted by a wolf. So that's why the name of the festival was Lupercalia, because, um, well, the festival, the, it, it was held by priests of Roman priests who were called Lupeci, which is similar to Lupercalia, and also because the wolf was called Lupa, which also relates to, to that. Um, so the priest, they would go to the place, the cave that they uh, think that they found the infants, Ramos and Remus, and they would perform a kind of a ritual during that day. Um, so they would sacrifice a goat for fertility and a dog for purification, which is something, of course, we wouldn't do nowadays. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So they would strip the goat's hide into strips and then they would dip that into a sacrificial blood and they would go through the streets slapping that strip of sheep's skin on other animals like um like like their their i don't know maybe cows or goats so they would have more fertility sheep as well and women as well especially young women so they would be more fertile during the year, which I think is quite strange for our perception nowadays because they were treating women the same way as they were treating cattle, right? Which is something yeah. really problematic. Not agreeable, yeah. No. Oh my gosh. But they said that the women, they would kind of like it because they would feel that they were becoming more fertile which I don't know if it's true or if it's only a male mindset, whatever. Probably. But yeah, probably. Um, so during the festival, the young women, they would also put their names in an urn and the bachelors of the town, they would go there and pick a name and then they would be matched. And they would spend the entire year together as a couple. And most of them 
most of, most of those couples would get married by the end of that time, which is kind of strange to think Match that people matching. can get matched, like just, you know, picking a random name from a, yeah, you know, like how would that work? But anyway, so that was Lupercalia and maybe one of the reasons why we have Valentine's Day today to yeah. Christianize this pagan holiday. That's right. So probably by now you must be wondering, so where is the romantic part of Valentine's Day, right? So we digged a little deeper to find out. Uh, so apparently the first time that a romantic connotation for Valentine's Day appeared was during the 1300s, a long time ago, but not as long as Roman Empire, <laughs> definitely not. And it was used by the poet Geoffrey Chaucer when he wrote The Parliament of the Fowls. That was the first time that Valentine, Valentine's Day or Valentine was used in this romantic connotation. And later on, Shakespeare also used it in a romantic way when he wrote Hamlet, a very well-known piece. So afterwards, Valentine's kept being used in many different ways. And this romantic connotation was officially infused in that. But it is still a bit complicated because it left its like religious roots to become something used in literature and nowadays it's something extremely commercial if you think about it. But now I think we should talk a little bit about what is romantic love, right? Because just one little comment. I think it's really interesting how uh, this concept of Valentine's Day really changed, you know. In the beginning it was all about power because the power was in the hand of the church, right? Yeah. So no, they, actually, it was in the hand of the emperor, and then it became the hand of the church. Yeah, that's true. So, but it was all about power, right? It was about the emperor who was a Roman emperor, and then it was the church who had the power, and they followed up with this Valentine marcher thing. Mm -hmm. And then from this, it became a cultural thing when poets started using, like it passed to society itself. And nowadays it's only a concept of like people don't even know where it came from and what's the real meaning of that. And maybe but, because of the lyricism of, of the poets and using this Valentine theme, that's why it became related to love and people associate poems with like feelings and demonstrating a love to someone. But you know it's what else? It has been passing down, you know from the top to the bottom where we are as, you know, population people. But I would add as well that even though it passed down generations and it transformed its meaning completely, I feel that the center of power still didn't let go because as I talked before, the capitalist mindset that became a commercial holiday, what is power nowadays if it's not capitalism, right? And also capitalism has this thing of commodification and commodification is basically turning people, concepts, ideas, everything is stripping them out of their historical context. So it becomes a commodity, it can be yeah. sold. Like, so you yeah, sell a concept and you sell a history that it was dehistoricized and power is still imbued in all those things. So it's complicated. We think romantic is something beautiful, but. Yeah, and it's interesting how Maybe people associate Valentine's Day with like love or with fulfilling, 
when actually it's only a product. Like the whole yeah. holiday is a product and yeah. we just conform to it. <laughs> so, okay, so I guess we can go into the part about business because we're seeing stuff. Yeah. Because I was checking, it's it was crazy. Like in the United States, Valentine's Day is super huge as in many other parts of the world. But I saw that in 2020, the Valentine's Day business actually resulted in $27.4 billion to the economy, according to the National Retail Federation of the United States. And this year, they were expecting to decrease a little bit because of the economic downfall and everything. But historically, it's being kept at this level of billions of dollars each year. And even if you think about, especially for us that lives in Japan and Korea, the holiday was imported as a product itself or created to sell products. Yeah. So you can you can explain a bit about Japan. I think it's fantastic. It's curious this the story of Valentine's Day in Japan. To start off, like they're not really Catholic, so it would make no sense to celebrate a martyr of Catholic Church, like Valentine or Saint Valentine. So it was really about importing a foreign concept to the country um, where they could make some money out of it. So I believe in the 1930s, a confectionery store, they um, realized that Valentine's Day could be very profitable. And they started making lots of propaganda on that, especially for foreigners living in Japan. So they could celebrate Valentine's Day like they did outside. And of course, the Japanese people enjoyed it. They think it was fun or you know cute to see the heart-shaped chocolates and all that. And to, especially because in the 30s, it was not really common for people to, especially women, to demonstrate their, their feelings openly, so to say. So they said that it was a way for them to confess, which is a theme very recurrent here in Japan, to confess your feelings. We don't really have this in the West, I would say, but they have this kokuhaku thing, which is like confessing your feelings to someone, which was something really bold in the 30s for a woman to do that, especially mm -hmm. by using those chocolates, which were related to Valentine's Day in foreign lands. So after that, uh, in the can 80s... I, can you mention yeah. something? It's interesting that you said it was in the 30s, right? When it yeah. first was created. If you think about the history of department stores in Japan as well, the first department store was created in 1903, if I'm not mistaken. And it was only in the late 20s, beginning of 30s, that women actually had money and started being able to go to those department stores. Yeah. In this capitalist center or this place where women could show their independence and also their power as consumers they didn't have before so it's pretty connected to each other because like valentine's day was specifically for women to buy things and okay continue go on <laughs> sorry no it was re it's really interesting to see those connections you know like really it's very important for someone to have financial means to buy those chocolates otherwise it wouldn't be a thing so you know financial freedom for women is certainly one of the points that made it possible here in japan in the 30s yeah and, but of course it wouldn't be fair just for women to give the gifts because here in Japan, Valentine's Day is only for women to present men in their lives with 
gifts, especially chocolates. Um, in the 80s, they started doing the opposite, you know, like guys having to give back to women. So we want to talk about the, the meaning of White's Day. It's what they call yeah. here. One month after Valentine's Day, they have the White's Day, which men have to retribute what they got from women one month prior. So as my sister was saying, Valentine's Day was only for women to buy things for men that they considered important in their lives. But women were like, this is so unfair. We have to buy and they don't give us anything back. So when is the time to show appreciation? So as you can see, it all starts from confectionery stores. So this small confectionery shop in, called Ishimura Manseido, they gave like they came up with a very brilliant idea, I think, in the 70s. And they're like, okay, maybe we should do something for men as well, right? And uh, the ladies who worked at the confectionery store, they're like complaining that they didn't get anything back. They always had to give the chocolates. And they're like, I can, anything is fine, even if it's a marshmallow. And then he's like, oh, a marshmallow. So that store, they created what was called Marshmallow Day. But later on in the 80s, it was, it became White's Day because it's a more general concept. So basically, um, this holiday, White's Day, was created to sell products as well. And also as a demand of women to also receive something back from men. And yeah. this became like really popular in the 80s. And it expanded all over Japan, even to Taiwan and South Korea. So here in South Korea as well, we have Valentine's Day and we have White Day. And mm -hmm. it's quite different from Western society because people don't really give super fancy extra gifts. Maybe some of them do, but originally it was just more like chocolates on Valentine's Day and Cards. White's Day, something like that. Yeah. And one thing that I saw the well, it makes more sense, the, the marshmallow thing, but some people say that White's Day is because it means a pure love, because white is related to purity, which I think marshmallow makes way more sense than purity, but... <laughs> yeah. Um, so... Well, so funny. Yeah, but like White's Day here in Japan, men are expected to give back the gifts from women two to three times more than they, the value that they received. And usually yeah. Valentine's Day, they only have to give chocolates. But men, when they give back on the White's Day, it's not only chocolates, they can give anything. So it can get really expensive. <laughs> mm, um, another but thing it's that, funny. Like in Japan, at least I noticed that women like to make things by themselves, like handcraft stuff. So I noticed people do like chocolates from scratch and all those cutie things but it seems pretty hard a lot of work involved yeah but that's like here in japan there are many types of chocolates for valentine's day one of them is the homemade ones but they each type of chocolate has a different meaning which is really complicated i think in japan they have lots of for example if you give one rose it means one thing if you give two roses it means another thing same with oh. chocolates and the if you give a thousand means, roses it means true love <laughs> <laughs> just kidding so here which I think is something bad that happens is that women they feel pressure to give chocolates to everyone every man in their life that they feel should be important to them 
it's not only to their boyfriends or you know partners it's also to their boss their colleagues at work their colleagues at school university their teacher you know their friends so it's quite expensive i would say if you give chocolates to everyone and they have different names for this for example um giri choco choco is like chocolate so this one is the obligation chocolate which you would give for males and like friends and your family members and work colleagues and then as you said the homemade choco it's like homemade chocolate is usually for their boyfriends or husbands or lovers or you know partners jibun choco is like you buy the chocolate for yourself because we deserve it <laughs> tomo choco is for their friends tomodachi chocolate tomodachi Gyaku choco is something quite new, I'd say, because this one is uh, usually a man who gives a chocolate for the women on Valentine's Day, but it's also a, an excuse so they don't have to buy the gift on Wednesday. That's why it's becoming more popular nowadays because men don't want to have to give back all, you know, all the gifts that they received on Valentine's Day, so they prefer just to buy a chocolate as well. Mm -hmm. I think easier and less expensive. But the chocolates can get pretty expensive because there are some brands that are like really fancy. Yeah, but I think it's like even some I've heard at some workplaces they are forbidding this type of thing mm -hmm. because it's a lot of burden to everyone to keep giving gifts, you know. And I even heard stories like from my friends when they like made the chocolate for their professor, but they didn't. <laughs> make anything for their boyfriends because they didn't have time so they kind of have to prioritize you know like my professor can do something that will interfere with my you know results or studies and my boyfriend won't so you know you gotta choose <laughs> priorities priorities yeah. people my gosh that's interesting yeah in korea there's a lot of holidays as well not only, I mean, Valentine's Day, I think is pretty important, of course, because it's like internationally known. <laughs> like we said, there's White Day, but there's also some weird days like Rose Day, Pepero Day. Pepero is the, is a chocolate stick that when you put together, it looks like 11-11. So day 11-11, like 11th of November, they create a pepero day and you give that chocolate for people you love to and basically every month there is a celebration apart from a hundred days when you're dating that is like super duper important you shouldn't forget that and that's days. why yeah so even when like couples start dating they start they even download apps so they can start counting the days because if they forget they're like death you know it's their death and I don't know, I just think it's funny. And there's also like Black Day that is for singles. So if you didn't get anything during like all those White Day, Valentine's Day, whatever, you have Black Day. Then you go eat jajamyeon. It is like a black, black noodle. bean noodle. And you eat alone because you're single. And yeah. <laughs> so sad. <laughs> so sad. I prefer the chocolates, not the the black bean pasta, right? <laughs> Buy chocolates for yourself, jibun choco. I like that. <laughs> nah. 
Me too. So, so I think there's a lot of differences, right, in different countries. I mean, even in Brazil, it's we don't celebrate Valentine's Day like the US. The same we celebrate in June, if I'm not mistaken. June 12, I think. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Sorry. <laughs> so if you guys celebrate Valentine's Day in a different date than, you know, the 14th of February, let us know. It's interesting. I want to know about um, different cultures and how you celebrate Valentine's Day. Or, you know, if you have a date for love and relationships, you can share with us. It's really interesting. Yes, it is. So I think it would be fun to talk about uh, differences, like cultural differences between Brazil, Japan, Korea. Those are the ones we know. So that's what we're going to talk about. And maybe you can start. What do you think is different between Japan and Brazil about dating, relationships, things like that? Mm -hmm. Talking about, you know, based on some things that I've seen, things I've observed, you know, throughout my life and media as well, we can see that it's very different dating styles here and in Brazil, I'd say. For example, in Brazil, usually boyfriends and girlfriends, they meet the entire family and they know all your friends and they hang out together, which can be good or bad, <laughs> depending on the, the, circum the circumstances. But somehow I think it's good because, especially with friends, you can all know each other and hang out together. You know, you don't have to go out with your friends and then with your partner. You can do this all together. But in Japan, I've noticed that people don't really like mixing anything. Mm. So they don't mix family and friends. They don't mix friends and relationships. They don't mix relationships and family. So they're all separate. Yeah, which is, it's not something that I really fancy. I don't really like it because, I mean, why wouldn't, wouldn't you want to introduce your boyfriend or girlfriend to your friends? They should be welcoming, I think. And maybe they feel, in the beginning, of course, it can be a little bit awkward if the person is new in the group. But if everyone is welcoming, I think it's a good relationship, you know? And then you can go out together, which is really nice. Um, I don't know how it works in Korea. Do they mix up or they keep things separate like here? I think they introduce to friends, but not to family. Because mm -hmm. if you introduce to parents, especially it's like very serious, you're about to marry and you're introducing yeah. your boyfriend or girlfriend, like this is the one I chose to marry and you want to introduce but I think for friends is okay and also I think it's pretty good to mix friends because you get to know the person better because wanting or not you kind of look like people you hang out with and when you get to know someone for the first time you might not know all the facets they have and their personality completely so if you see how they interact with friends it's also that is like they're in the most comfortable state they could be because they're friends. I think you get to know your partner better as well. I agree. Another thing that I've noticed is that usually people don't post on social media many pictures of couples or sometimes they do when they're in a relationship for a long time. But if they're a new couple, they don't show up in public, you know, like social media. 
they don't put the status on Facebook on a relationship with no. But in Brazil, they do this pretty fast, I would say. They don't really yeah. care. Yeah. In Brazil, I think it's like, it takes a long time for you to be officially in a relationship because you, when you get to know someone, it's a, I mean, not for everyone, but most usually it's a long process and you get to know the person and you do everything with the person. And after that, you say, okay, I think we're dating. I think. Yeah. Some of them will be like, hey, do you want to date? But most of the times it's just like you have this connection and you know you're together. And you don't really need to say like, okay, we're officially a couple now. I think it's a more like smooth process. And But when you're very together, then people like posting on social media and making everything pretty official. Um, but I think here it's quite different. But maybe, maybe that's the difference, you know. Maybe the time that you spend until you're official and you show up, you know, together in social media or or any other place that is very open. It's almost the same. But in Brazil, people take, like you said, a long time to really say they are in relationships. And here it's like, go out a little bit and do you want to date me? Do you like my girlfriend, my boyfriend? And for, for us, it's a little bit strange. <laughs> But for them, it's more comfortable because they don't like to be in a situation that they don't understand where they stand, mm. which I understand, but it's less natural. They don't go in a flow. It's just like black and white. Mm -hmm. Like if you're not dating, you're not close at all with the person. Like no physical contact, like no holding hands, no nothing. And I don't know, even opening, opening up and talking about more like deeper stuff I don't think they really do that they're not really in a relationship and then from the moment you say okay I want to be your boyfriend or girlfriend it's just like from water to wine you know it's completely different which I think is a little bit weird for me <laughs> since I grew up in Brazil but they are used to that I don't know yeah so how do people usually meet in Japan That's a difficult question for me because I'm not really sure, but I guess <laughs> they have to meet in places where they have the opportunity to talk because people don't really talk to strangers here unless it's like on a bar, you know, but like on school or work, they have some kind of something to talk about. They have a reason to talk to the person so they can meet and, you know, But you wouldn't see people people that don't know each other just talking on the street or on a coffee shop or a museum. It's really rare, I would say. Mm. People think it's a little bit weird, you know, like, why are you talking to that person? It's weird. You don't know them. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Your friends. And also, some people, they do like matchmaking, so to say, but they go like even to agencies or parties that are specific for making couples, which I've never really seen with my own eyes, but I've heard about it. You've heard and of I've heard of somewhere. They say. They say, yeah, but really it's, I don't know. I think they have different types of events for people depending on their jobs 
on their age, on their, they have it even based on DNA. Eh? Yes, they have like genetic tests and matchmaking. It's really crazy. The industry is crazy here with matchmaking. Yeah. But I think people, some people, when they get older, they have a, sometimes a hard time to meet other people because they only work late hours and they don't go anywhere else. So they rely on those companies to find someone. I don't know. Yeah, I understand, I think. But yeah, here in Korea, there's various types of ways of meeting people, I would say. And most of, because like in Brazil, we're not used to matchmaking in any sort of way. But here in Korea, actually, I think even for young people, one of the most common ways people get to know like their partners or people they're interested in having a relationship is through sogeting. And soge is to introduce. Ting is like an ing from English, you know? So like introducing. <laughs> And <laughs> this usually is, oh, you didn't know? Yeah, I didn't think. Yeah, yeah. So, so there is so getting meeting that is a bit different, and there is mason and hunting and etc. So, but I think so getting is like what's all that? Really, <laughs> yeah. So so getting you get from like I've never been in one, but my friends told me like usually it's like three people, three people, and you get together like in a coffee shop and talk. And usually, like, the same number of guys, same number of girls. Usually, we see that on dramas. It's pretty common. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they have, like, the purpose of dating. So, they get to know each other a little bit better. But it, a batch must be awkward because you don't know the person and you just have to think. So, as they told me, if you like each other, like, one of the people involved liked a girl or, like, a boy or someone they go ahead and invite the person to another date. And by the second or third date maximum, they must ask, do you want to be my boyfriend? Do you want to be my girlfriend? Otherwise, it's just like playing around. So... The deadline thing is The crazy. deadline is pretty <laughs> short. And, and also when people are in this unknown phase, if I'm not mistaken, it's called some. And it's like you have something with someone, but you're not really sure. And most people don't like it because they're like, oh, he's just a playboy or, you know, but yes, yeah, so I think knowing dating differences is really important because as a foreigner, I mean, I made mistakes here <laughs> because I didn't know all those implicit rules, but it's fine. Um, what I was saying before, like meeting usually is for a bit older people, I think, like close to their 30s. And Masong is like really matchmaking, like professionally done for mm -hmm. older people because they really want to marry. And I know I think there's that's also, the one I was talking about here. Yeah. Japan. And I don't know the name, but there's also another type that is for very rich families. So mm -hmm. it's like for air level. So they want their companies or people with really big money, big power. They want to continue the line of power. So they marry intentionally. Oh. It's like, <laughs> it's like kingdoms in the past but with capital and yeah so and there's also some places that are well known for meeting others of course 
there are some specific places that you probably know you're going to meet foreigners. So if you're interested in foreigners, you go to those places. There are other places that are only for Koreans. There are places for only LGBTQ and so on and so forth. But yeah, and of course, there's always the people who will approach you out of nowhere, but this is not very common. But I think I've seen like in coffee shops, people going talking to a stranger or a bookstore, like starting a random conversation, but it's not very usual. And there's also dating apps. Yeah. <laughs> but one thing that it's, um, I think happens more in Asia, which is a little bit problem problematic, I'll say, is when women go to really good universities, sometimes they lie about it. Oh, I have never seen this here, but yeah, in Japan, I heard it. Yeah, like really men, they don't like to date women who had a better education than them here. And sometimes women lie about their education, saying they, they went to a worse university because they want to find a relationship, which makes no sense for me because, you know, you're going to lie your entire life. <laughs> And Such a you're gonna, masculinity, come on. Yeah. I mean, I would never reduce myself to... Yeah. To make a man feel better about himself. Yeah, there are some things here that I really, I really don't agree. It's just really prob problematic. For sure. Mm, another, maybe people who are interested in... Korean dramas and all those things. You must have seen many of those things I'm talking about. But another peculiarity of Korean couples is that they like to wear the same clothes. <laughs> like they like to match clothes and match styles. Sometimes it's full head to toes, same clothes. Sometimes it's like just an accessory you have or same shoes or something like that. But it's like to show your belonging to the other, <laughs> that you're together. Um, and Talking also, belonging. Brazil, they use rings. Oh, it's yeah. not so popular here. No, I think it's only for engagement. They use, some people use here in Japan for dating, mm. but it's quite rare, I would say. It's not like everyone. In Brazil, it's like everyone. I mean, it's not a pretty strange. I mean, I never did. And I don't want to, <laughs> but I know some people do. But for me, it's strange because it looks like you're engaged to the person instead of just dating. Well, people are people, they're different. I'm not judging you if you do. It's just not something for me. <laughs> <laughs> but as I said, I have like in the attachment styles, I'm the avoidant type. So that explains a lot in itself. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, true. Also, I think here people like to text a lot. So they couples text each other the entire day, basically, and they need to know what's going on in their partner's life. So if you go somewhere, you let them know. If you're doing something, you let them know. You send pictures, you show who you are with, who you're hanging out with, or the food you're eating. Because food is really important to people. You don't understand. In Korea, food is sacred and it's like, is something you want to share and they always ask like and it's like how are you but is 
literally asking, did you eat? And I don't know. For me, it's different because in Brazil, we never ask people if they ate or we don't give that much importance, I guess. And we're not so controlling, I mean. You don't need to know about the person the entire day. Most people. Most, I mean, some people do, but <laughs> most people. And I think in Japan, it's the opposite. People don't really feel this need to be texting their partners all day. Sometimes they go days without talking, and that's fine. Oh, that's weird. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I would say Korea, Brazil, and then Japan in terms yeah. of needing the attention of the other. Yeah. And so I think those are mostly the differences for me. Do you see any other thing? Well, there are small things. Like we said, people really, they don't get any physical contact usually before being official with you. And in Brazil, it's not like that. And usually here in Korea, it's a bit strange for me when people go on dates because sometimes you're going to plan the date that is like the entire day date or you're going to plan like the entire night and you know every where you're going and what you're going to do and sometimes even what you're going to order because people like to plan um, and but I think it's a bit strange usually guys are expected to pay for the meal and usually they also go like to a coffee shop or to a bar or somewhere and usually the girl pays for dessert or the coffee or the drinks or whatever but I don't know this is something that happens here a lot also but one thing that I actually like about Korea is that people like if you know you're going to be the person more than once it's okay because if he pays or she pays the one meal you know you're going to pay the next so I like that you don't you don't really split the bill you just pay the entire thing and next time the person will pay the other entire thing. And if you go out with the person very often, I think it's okay. I think it's quite sweet to know someone planning everything because they're yeah, really it is. taking the time and putting effort into that. So it's quite nice. I don't know. I don't know many people who do that at all. Really? Not at all. Here, like my friends, I, would, I wouldn't imagine them doing that. <laughs> Wow. Here's pretty common. I think especially guys when they care, they will do that. Yeah, it's nice. It's nice. So I think to finish off, we can talk a little bit about the concept of love because Valentine's Day is all about love and sharing your emotions and your feelings, right? So although we talked a little bit about cultural differences, you know, the thing that unites them all is the relationship and the feeling people have for each other. So I think throughout life and throughout time, people have tried to explain what love is, which I think is something really difficult to do. Because if you think about different perspectives, they're going to see different things. You can see love as just a biological thing. For example, if you've noticed there are some people you don't really like the smell of the person. <laughs> <laughs> other people, you really like the smell of the person or yeah. you're 
okay with the smell. You don't really feel anything. You don't smell the person. So it's almost like your body telling you, this person is a good match. This person is not a good match. Even though you may not have feelings for the person, you can like right in the first encounter, smell and feel good or bad. <laughs> That's um, why people say like kissing is important too, because <laughs> you know if you match with the person or not. But yeah, it's melting. Yeah. It's, it's real. <laughs> it's weird, but it's real. Yeah, but so that's the point. I think love can be only interpreted as a biological thing, but that's your physical body trying to find the best match for you. I've, I've seen a video they talked about. They talked about um, that through smell, I believe you can sense... Um, particle that is related to a thing in your body of self-defense of like immunity and usually people like the opposite so actually if they had a child they would have a better immunity system which is amazing like your body is really working a lot when you find someone new to see if it's if you're attracted or not um but you can think about love in other ways more spiritual you know like you have a soulmate a twin flame you know are we connected beyond this life? Or you can think about just more in a mundane level, you know, do we match uh, socioeconomically? Do we have a, a lifestyle that is compatible? And do I feel attracted to that person and want to have, you know, a family with them? Have common goals. It's really interesting how we can interpret love. And maybe that's not even the true meaning of love. Like you were saying in the last episode, right? The concept of love itself is something much bigger and much more including than all those little separations we make because it's just a very pure feeling. But we, the romantic love, as we know, is something historically shaped, is something biologically shaped, is something like constructed by society and each society has a different understanding of love, I suppose. And I don't know, I was seeing like this anthropologist, I'm sorry, talking about academic stuff again, but she studies romantic love and she pointed out that usually it's the combination of sex drive, romantic love, understanding as infatuation, as well as attachment or the sense of security that you have for the partner that is necessary to raise the kids you're going to have because it's like the continuation of life. So romantic love, it's understood in various ways. And let us know what is your understanding of love or romantic love. And if you're not from Japan, Korea, Brazil, how is all this done? You know, meeting someone, dating, loving, etc. Because it's a cultural thing, all those romantic feelings we have maybe love is a glue that keeps us all together you know our families together our friendships together our relationships together yeah <laughs> so if you like the song i'm sticking with you that's what i, I remember right away <laughs> that's love i'm sticking <laughs> with you <laughs> so cute i love that song <laughs> but so yeah if you're spending valentine's day by your own don't forget to buy yourself a chocolate and give yourself a hug. Yes. And I think this topic is super nice, especially 
during these times that we can actually have contact with the people we love. So just reminding ourselves how important it is and what it is that when you have the opportunity, we can go out there and get the hug, get the loving feelings that we deserve and we need. So I hope you have a good Valentine's Day. And also if you celebrate the Chinese New Year, Happy New Year. And yeah, I guess that's it for today. Don't forget to share, like, and subscribe if you're watching us on YouTube. Leave us a comment. We would love to hear your, your thoughts on Valentine's Day, how you celebrated it. You can review us if you like this podcast. So hope to see you on the next one. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful, beautiful, magical Valentine's Day. Thank you, everyone, for your time. See you next time. And bye-bye. Goodbye.